0: Sex myth, Blue Balls, is an actual medical condition. Guys are always complaining about Blue Balls. But is it an actual medical condition? According to one scientific journal, Blue Balls is a term describing pain near the scrotum after sustained sexual arousal that is unrelieved by ejaculation. The same study says this condition is deserving further medical investigation. So why is it called Blue Balls? The blood that causes an erection gets congested in the veins around the testicles. They can take on a bluish color, hence the name. If a guy doesn't ejaculate, the congestion of the blood can cause pain. The condition can be relieved immediately with self-medication.
1: because my area is very much into uh, consciousness studies and the history and prehistory of the human mind. And it's that that really fascinates me and the, the landmarkings.
2: Okay, guys, welcome back to the America Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Paul Devereaux a little bit later about archaeoacoustics and all sorts of fun stuff like that. But first, as always... Cram, I ain't no meat sack Dunlop. How's it going, buddy?
3: Again, I, <laughs> I don't know what to say to this shit. <laughs> oh, I think I just might skip right by it and say there's, yeah. a, there's a you know great chat with Paul Devereaux coming up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
3: I, I just we just scratched the surface with him, and I can't wait to have him back on.
2: he had to get to his dinner.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's the problem with UK guests. Is this time zone thing we have to sort out every time?
2: Yeah. Everyone should just be on the same time. That's what I say. I think so too. Couldn't we do that? Yeah, it'd be kind of weird, though.
3: It would be, because then you fly across the the pond, then.
2: You could go back in time, maybe.
3: I don't like the time change.
2: I think that's silly. Well, I'm going to actually use the time change this year. I'm going to use the time change to continue to get up early and start working out in the morning. <laughs> <laughs>
3: nice try.
2: That's a plan. Is that your
3: philosophy? Is that what you think is going to motivate you? Is just like use the time change to get up early?
2: It's more like a procrastination to get up because I was going to do it the other day. I was going to do it Monday. Like,
3: I'll just wait till the time changes. I'll just <laughs> yeah. keep getting up at the same time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's my philosophy is it'll be easier.
3: I think you're backwards
2: though. If you get up at the same time. It'll be five. Yeah, yeah, earlier, yeah. So if I get up, I can even sleep in a bit, I get up at five thirty.
3: Half hour. Just do a twenty-five minute meditation in the morning. You don't even have to work out. Just do I got the
2: elliptical. And a gut. (sighs) So maybe I could exercise.
3: My friend lost like forty pounds when I went to his uh, stag. I couldn't believe how much weight he lost. Apparently, all he's doing is jogging for a half hour twice a day on his little uh, treadmill in front of the TV or whatever. Like, just religiously twice a day.
2: Yeah, I and could get I get up.
3: just shredded the weight off. I couldn't believe it.
2: I could just get up in the morning, fire on a podcast. And then I think by the time the time change effect wears off, I might have already been long enough to make it a habit. That'd three weeks. A, that I might like it and be like, yeah, you fuck it.
3: You might need three weeks for a habit building. Probably. Yeah. So <laughs> so what's with the meat sack thing?
2: I don't know. You said something about meat sack at some point. I just have meat sack written on the table.
3: Really? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it had something to do with blue balls. No. Can I come clean on that? Not come clean, but can <laughs> I tell you?
2: You got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> That's solving the blue balls.
3: So after you're bugging me with texts about about uh, evidence for blue balls, you know, I yeah. okay, I concede that yes, there's probably a you know a real condition.
2: Blue balls is real, folks. You heard it here first.
3: And I think the way tantric practitioners get through it is through breathing, and they say massage helps as well.
2: Massage. But balls. it takes like
3: a three minute, three minutes.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to say three-man.
3: No. <laughs> three-man massage? A six-hand massage? <laughs> if I close my eyes, I, I can't tell. <laughs>
2: then what happens?
3: <laughs> so, So, I guess it does happen to... Tantric practitioners, I guess they just, hopefully they know a way around it or maybe it doesn't happen as much, but I think breathing is the key. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I guess my main thing is, is that I think that guys use that as an excuse when they're just sexually frustrated. I'm sure probably, I did too. Probably right? happened. wasn't really blue balls. I mean, I'm sure people get it, but a lot of people, just, a lot of guys just thing. say that because no. they're excited.
2: Well, how are you doing in your little abstinence? <laughs> Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not Last night I actually felt a little bit of it I'm like is that blue balls?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, do you really understand about.
2: the concept of how blue balls are? Yeah So how do you Did you, give, <laughs> you gave yourself blue balls? <laughs> okay oh, <yeah. laughs> Just
0: making
3: sure. You don't want to let me try and come out of that, eh? Thanks.
2: Okay, so, no, you go ahead. I'll abort the. <coughs> it just—it
3: just was—it was, it it was on my mind. It. I was researching it a lot and. The guys at the Bulletproof, you know, the Bulletproof exec, right, they talk about that a lot, right, where he doesn't ejaculate for, like, a week, like, or it's once a week when he does, right? And they talk about how it gives you better energy levels and all that. So I'm just trying to hold off a little bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I wasn't prepared for that. Just experimenting. never fucking <laughs> cease to <laughs> amaze me, man. <laughs> so you gave yourself blue balls and now you know it's real that's all we need to know
3: no it wasn't really it was just a slight feeling that I thought hmm I wonder if that's what
2: it could have been
3: I don't think so it was was too coincidental with me researching and looking it up and all that (coughs) and and yeah so here's the UFO quote (laughs) So I was standing the mid-watch, sounding security watch, as always went to the fantail on my rounds to talk to the seaman who stood there. (laughs) (laughs) The UFO took off like nothing I have ever seen. It looked like it traveled a thousand miles in just a split second in a zigzag motion, not making any noise or even sight of smoke. That was a rough one. That was uh, Jonathan Beeston, a machinist repairman, first class U.S. Navy aboard the USS Comte de Grasse. And that was DD-974, Puerto Rico, December 1995. That was a recent one.
2: 1995?
3: Yeah. 20
2: years ago. Yeah. How appropriate. How so? With the semen? Oh, yeah. Always classy.
3: That was a synchronicity of itself, right
2: there. <laughs> it wasn't just lowbrow comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't purposeful. <laughs> huh? What else you got?
3: Well, I got a, like, I got a dark, uh, a dark synchro, but it's fairly powerful, and then a, uh, a spam from one of our. I think she's uh, been donating, and she knows you from, from Twitter because she set up a YouTube playlist of our music.
2: Well, oh so yeah, she that, that, you know someone tweeted it. that before.
3: So she's got kind of a lucid dream. Nah, it could be like a, a little deeper than that. If you want me to, to read it.
2: Lucid dreams. So that'd be like.
0: I'll
3: I'll read a bit more here too, because she kind of talks about the show a little bit. Hey, hi Graham. I sent you guys an email back in July or June, I think, just telling you how excited I was to find America and how much I love your podcast. Then I went all the way back to the beginning of your episodes and listened from the beginning and just caught up now. And I say, wow, that's crazy! Thank you. I became a subscriber on iTunes because Darren's right; the sound quality is much better. So, yeah, that's interesting. And Darren, Um, if people are listening regularly, you might as well subscribe on
2: iTunes. Or Darren, anti iTunes.
3: Darren, is it uh, the same quality if I subscribe to like I use an Eye Catcher app? Is that the same thing? Same quality. So subscribing on that is better than.
2: Or you can just download it right off the website, too.
3: As opposed to what?
2: As opposed to... As far as, like, worst
3: quality. Oh, okay.
2: Right, right, right. Okay. Is that... how I going to get sued for (laughs) sayings?
3: So she says uh, she's going to make a a donation soon, too, based on the dollar an episode idea. So anyway, she said... uh, Anyway, I thought I'd send you a story. I think they fall under the category of lucid dreaming, but not sure. I'll try and keep it short. When I was little, I had a reoccurring dream every night as I was falling into the realm between asleep and awake. I remember everything vividly. I used to fly a World War One plane every single night. I remember the wood paneling in the cockpit and the dials and levers. Every night I would dream about taking off... I must have drifted off once the plane was in the air because I don't remember that part, but the taking off happened every night. As I grew older, I had different dreams, all very vivid, that gave me hints of what else my World War I life was like once upon a time. I drove a stick shift convertible, I was a man, and I was a misogynistic dick. I even had lucid dreams of sexy time with my mistress in that life. Suddenly, in the middle of my dream, I would realize that she is my best friend in this life, and I would wake me up, and it would wake me up. The last lucid dream I had about my life from World War One, so far was pretty intense. I was in a room on the second floor of a house. I was lying down on my back, and I'm pretty sure I was already wounded. I could hear someone coming up the stairs, and I knew that it was my war buddy, my best friend. When he came into the room, he was startled to see someone there, and before I could tell him it was me, don't shoot, he shot me right in the neck. I could feel blood oozing from my wound and my hand was covering it up, trying to stop the blood enough for me to talk. It was pretty futile though, and I could feel myself getting colder. My war buddy was devastated when he realized it was me. He didn't know what to do, and when we were both <clears throat> and we both knew I was dying. I tried to tell him with my eyes that I was okay. I forgave him but I don't know that my message was received. I drifted off and died. In real life, I woke up bawling. The thing is, though, as I was dying, my war buddy started to look like my husband in my current life, which might explain why he's so protective of me and bends over backwards to do things for me. Anyways, I have tons more stories, but I won't put them all here in one shot. Until next time, then. Keep on keeping on. (laughs) <laughs> that's from Fiona <laughs> this is the best part P.S. I know Darren will be all boy
2: about this <laughs> boy, <Skeptiboy.
3: laughs> a little bit but I got the Eiffel Tower spot on in the remote viewing episode first thought, boom, I was working away while listening and I jotted down my thoughts and what I saw as your guest was reading the coordinates, didn't really think anything of it till a few episodes later when you revealed the answer so thanks for the email Fiona boy over here has just got his staring up at the sky trying to come up with a yeah, maybe I should have waited till the rating and then called him Skeptiboy
2: how can I what's I, I can't rate it what would I rate
3: is it like a past life synchronicity
2: past life synchronicity L- slash lucid dream
3: no, not that we have to label everything. I don't want to label everything, but that was pretty cool. Like, That's
2: pretty cool. Yeah, sure. Best friend, I that dream,
3: and, the, and you know the husband's face turning into the husband's face. And
2: it's a he dream. He used to be
3: her best friend back in the I war. think
2: it's just a lucid dream. Do
3: you? I don't think there's any meaning to that at all? You believe in past lives, is. don't you? Yeah. Isn't there some sort of a glimpse of evidence of past life?
2: Sure. Through a lucid I dream? I can't rate it. It's not my place to rate that, is it? If it is, I'll give it a six.
3: And yeah, a half. you have a hard time rating like the personal yeah. uh, time. Yes, time ones. Okay, you want to rate this one then?
2: We got another one.
4: Yeah,
3: this is a dark synchro,
2: straight synchro, dark synchro. Let's actually. Maybe I should save that for after when we're all sad. Okay, you so kill
3: This is from thoughts. Wes. Wes? Yeah, Wes. Wes. I don't know. It's W-E-Z. Ugh, Wes.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm a big-time Grimerica fan. Great work. The conversation is real, laid back, and with Darren interjecting with his impulsive observations, I feel as though I'm on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> also, awesome guest lineup, including multiple Randall Carlson episodes and Duncan Trussell. Can't forget RPJ.
2: That's our... Our resident mexican
3: red pill junkie so at the warehouse where i work wednesday around 9 a.m i make up a story about an employee who's lost in the processing sorter and he was lost and never ever heard from again and when the emergency cord is pulled all lines go down and it's silent you can still hear his screams I told my new supervisor this as a joke because marijuana and coffee brings the jokes out. When I come to work the next morning, there's a grim feeling in the air. So he comes to work the next morning. He can sense a grim feeling in the air. Come to find out on second shift, about 10 hours later, someone was killed in the warehouse when they were crushed by a forklift. I've been there five years and never heard of more than a nail in a foot. Maybe a synchro? Thanks, guys. Your friend, Mud. Mud? Yeah. So he made up the story that this this <clears throat> this employee was lost in the sorter, right?
2: Mm-hmm. What's a sorter?
3: Like, uh, it's in a warehouse, so it's like a big machine sorting shit. So, like, you know, if you get lost in the sorter, you're toast,
2: right? Yeah. It sorts you? Yeah, like, rips you apart. Oh, really? Yeah. Oof. So he,
3: had, so he was saying, "You know, never heard from again when the emergency court is pulled, all lines all lines go down, and it's silent. You can still hear his screams. So this is a story he made up that one night, and then later on that night, some guy gets crushed by a forklift.
2: Eight uh, really? Wow,
0: that's
3: a that's a good one. Eh?
0: I want a good skull. <laughs> Syncronicity, synchronicity. And then give the it, it to me. Hey, don't you please read it low? Ooh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I hope
3: the dude with the fork, you know, that got crushed by the forklift, is not watching over us right now.
2: I Hope he knows that we're not joking around about him. No, just trying to lighten the load. That there going to be a better way to say that. <laughs>
3: So yeah, there you have it, buddy. Thanks for the.
2: We don't like email, the dark lad. synchros. I know that's okay
3: though. That, they have to be included.
2: You should rate those ones.
3: Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Gram Reaper.
3: Sure. So what else we have to talk about? The the blue balls, the synchros, the t-shirts. I think we're.
2: We didn't almost... talk about the t-shirts, but I gotta I gotta do the quotes.
3: Oh yeah, right. This is.
4: A...
2: Tis the season for the quotes. All from Jackson Taylor except for one.
3: So this is uh, <coughs> lately. Guys have been sending out like quotes from episodes, and they're kind of scary. Some of some have been pretty. Uh, well, you'll hear.
2: <laughs> so from Jackson Taylor, quote number one thirty-five at the forty-nine minute mark. I can probably find an article that says my best exercise is to sit on my ass and watch television. <laughs> 136, 25-minute mark, also from Jackson Taylor. If you can understand a two-dimensional triangle, then you can understand the universe. (laughs) 137 at the 137 mark. No way. Really? I just noticed that. Anything done with a good heart towards reaching these kids dying of suicide and drugs is worthy of your effort. Oh. Now check it out, 137.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I see. Episode 137 at the 137 mark, oh.
2: And then um, 138, he says that we broke the quote of the week because he couldn't pick one. Everyone should just listen to the intro. I think that was the initial blue balls discussion. Oh, maybe. And 139 from our buddy Adam Loyal. I don't like that look you just gave me. You made it weird. (laughs) (laughs) And those are your quotes, your favorite quotes in the last five episodes. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, of course, anyone can send those in, and I'll pick the best best ones and read them every five apps or so.
3: Yeah, thanks. That's a, I like that. There you go. It's a little scary when you when I see them on Twitter, though. Uh, Wasn't there a really bad one recently? What, what, why'd you miss that?
2: Which one? I don't know.
3: I don't know. I'll have to look it up. I, I thought there was I one thought that kind of made my heart skip and be like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that. I don't
2: know. Yeah, probably
3: best you miss that one.
2: I'll find it. <laughs> if someone remembers or they sent it to me, send it again. I'll just blurt it out. <clears throat> Anything else?
3: No, we were talking the other day about T-shirts. keeping this thing uh, paywall free, right? And for people that, when you say paywall, for people that don't know, that's when you charge people for episodes, right? Is that what they mean? What you mean by paywall? That's, either yeah. a bad catalog or current.
2: Or extra content.
3: Or extra content?
2: Yeah. Right
3: so we want to keep that out of this and we just want to keep this value for value. So, you know, the same content for everybody, right? Free, no ads, no sponsorship.
2: Long. Yeah. Because that's the thing is a lot of people that do paywalls and they don't do three hour episodes or two hour episodes. Right.
3: Exactly. So, so we want to do this, uh, putting on at least an episode a week. Um, and, you know, it's we want to thank everybody for donating because it does help with the expenses. There are monthly fixed expenses, and uh, it helps pay for stuff like the new heater we just got. The What did you call that? Ceramic heater? That's quiet? Convection. Oh, convection. Right. Convection. And it's actually warming up after about three hours in here. Yeah. I think.
2: You could sleep in here now.
3: Yeah, maybe. I already have once.
2: Yes, you have.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Was that when Randall Carlson then were here? Yeah. I think <laughs> So anyways, yeah, your donations are really help and uh, we appreciate it. So thank you very much. And oh, t-shirts. There's some t-shirts, Save Sasquatch and the Grimerica America one. Uh, If you donate 25 or more, uh, we can ship some of those. There's a few sizes left. I mean, the thing is once they're gone, I'll have to like figure out how much money we need to order another batch. So I can only order so much at once.
2: Yeah, so order t-shirts.
3: And I don't want to get into t-shirt business either, so I don't know how we're going to do this going forward, but right now there's some available. <clears throat> right? We've got to get Red Pill Junkie to get on this and open up a store or something.
2: We're in the t-shirt business. we just got to outsource it, I think, like Carlwood does. Yeah, maybe. that's the we best look into that. Just send them a shit. Send us a sample, boom. You deal with it. Then we could have a whole store. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we should look at that eventually. Tooks. Tooks. I need a took for the igloo.
2: There you have it. <laughs> Anything else?
3: No, just review the show and...
2: Review the show, yeah. support us, gruntmarco.ca slash support. Um, all we ask is a dollar an episode.
3: Yeah, or if you end up getting up to, what were you we saying, 432 or 420,
2: just uh Oh, yeah, for, for people who get on. to 432, you can bring a guest on or pick someone. We'll try and track them down and you can join us for the interview. Um, and we'll do that. No one's close to there yet, but if one of you book, you will count on you guys to do your own accounting. You let us know when you're there and who you want to get on and we'll, if we can get them, then you can join us. And if not, we'll find someone else
3: and you can join us. That'd be fun.
2: Yeah. So yeah, check that out. Sign up for the newsletter, get america.ca slash news, review the show, all that fun stuff, spam, gram, and, uh, don't get blue balls that's about it enjoy the chat with uh, paul Devro from across the pond on thanksgiving wasn't it on our thanksgiving
3: i think it was yeah yeah yeah
2: i ate a bunch of dinner after that
0: yeah you did
2: all right guys enjoy the chat with paul and we will pick you up in the outro
3: Today, we've got Paul Devereaux here, and he's a researcher, presenter, artist, broadcaster, and author of many things that interest us uh, in Grand America. His latest books are uh, Sacred Geography and Lucid Dreaming, How to Access Your Inner Virtual Realities. Paul's main interest has been archaeoacoustics, ancient life ways, and earth mysteries, basically like an umbrella term for Archaeoastronomy, archaeoacoustics, all that kind of ancient mysteries that we talk about here. He's also the founding co-editor of *Time and Mind*, which is a multidisciplinary peer-reviewed journal covering topics that are glossed over or ignored by traditional journals. So he's also um, he's also conducting the Landscape and Perception Project, which is aimed at making a multidisciplinary study of selected prehistoric landscapes. Involving not only visual and acoustic factors, but whole other subject areas, especially archaeology within its arts-based context. And he's also founded, this is uh, going back a ways now too, the, the Dragon Project. The Dragon Project was a study of physical, measurable energies at sites, the archaeology and anthropology of consciousness, exploration of human biophysical and mental reactions and interactions at sites, and multisensory properties of sites especially acoustical properties so lots of stuff here to talk about welcome to the show paul hi there graham glad to be on yeah thanks for coming on it's uh we heard about you through uh through uh one of our one of our guests that we've had on a couple times he's doing lots of great research his name's randall carlson and when i started uh-huh. looking into your stuff uh, you know you touch on lucid dreaming and archaeoacoustics those are two of my absolute favorite topics so it's good to have you here to talk about it. Well, thank you. So, what's? Be I, I kind of wanted to start with uh, what you're what you're doing nowadays. Like, what some of your latest uh, projects are. This this type of archaeoacoustics and the and the ancient site thing has has come a little bit more into the mainstream these days. There's all kinds of researchers doing it. Are you still interested in in researching all that stuff?
1: Oh yes, uh, more than ever. I mean, we started in about 1995 and I was with a Princeton group called ICRL, and we made a study of a whole range of of Neolithic Stone Age chambered monuments to get their basic um, uh, acoustic frequency, their their basic resonance pattern. Uh, I think the term is primary resonance. And uh, there's some reasons we did that I won't go into now, but uh, we did it, and we... Went across southern England, looking at some of these sites, and then across Ireland, and ended up at Newgrange, the mighty monument in Ireland, hmm. uh, dates about 3,200 BC. It's got a 20-foot-high chamber in it, and um, we, what we did, we set off a sound signal, um, and uh, we waited till we could get the the standing wave, that is, the the resonance. And it was always uh, focused on 110 hertz, which is the lower baritone range of the human voice. Hmm. And uh, later, ICRL was a multidisciplinary group, and um, one of our people was a neurophysiologist, clinician uh, called Ian Cook. And um, we asked him if he could conduct an experiment to find out if there was anything about this particular frequency, and we didn't really think so. But it kept recurring. Anyway, he did it a couple of years later. He fitted it into one of the UCLA things he was doing. And uh, we found that on that particular frequency, uh, the activity in the, in the brain changed in that the frontal cortex suddenly switched from uh, right to left. Uh, the, the quiet zone that was normally there in the right went to the left. And uh also quietened down activity in the temporal cortex, we don't know what that means,, uh, <laughs> but it certainly uh happened and it threw it like a switch, and when he he, he he exposed people to other audio frequencies, and it all went back to normal with those, but just on the one hundred and ten hertz it switched, and this has given rise to a whole mythology on the internet about. 111 hertz and all this stuff and they don't even know where it all came from uh, and that's often the case unfortunately with a lot of people getting into the earth mysteries and ancient mysteries they do it all on internet and they never know what the source of the research is and they never go back to the original work. Anyway that's where it started for me and we've gone on and what I, I look at now, we've just been doing work in Anglesey and Ireland off the north coast of Wales Um, and we've been looking at uh, Monia, I've been to Hal Saflini uh, the Fogu the underground chamber on Malta Uh, and we've looked at loads of stuff I've been in the States as well and, and in Canada for that matter and we've been looking at all sorts of things. My two main areas of research are looking at ground patterns, these big geoglyphs, you know, mm-hmm. drawings in the desert. And of course, you've got some up there in Canada. I looked at White Shell Park with these the, these big boulder designs laid out on the uh, the hard rock surface. Where's that one? And that's in uh, well, where's where's White Shell Park? Uh, in uh, oh God. What's, I can, I
3: can what's search the, it here, what's, too. What's, what's the adjacent uh, province to you? Uh, B- British Columbia or Mani- or Saskatchewan? Manitoba. Jesus. It's in Manitoba. <laughs> uh, yeah. and we went to the place uh, that gave the name to
1: Manitoba, Manito Arby. Okay. Which means the place where the great spirits sit. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there are... Um, there's great areas of bedrock there after the uh, glaciers. About 1,500 years ago, the First Nation people laid out these great patterns with small boulders rocks. It's called petroform designs. Mm. And uh, I looked at those, but I've been looking at stuff from uh, the Mexican border up through. So, uh, you know, the Nazca lines and that in South America, all that sort of stuff. Um, and we've uh, started so studying that as a sort of sacred geography, if you like. Right. And I've also been very involved with acoustic sound at ancient sites. And a particular area of rock acoustics, there's a lot of things under that umbrella. Right. Uh, but the thing I've particularly been looking at are ringing rocks, rocks that make a metallic or musical sound when they're struck with a small hammerstone. And normally when you hit uh, rock with a piece of rock, it clunks, it's a dead sound. But with these particular rocks, they ring, they are, um, uh, as I say, musical, they have this metallic, weird sound. And uh, so we've been studying that in depth, and uh, also their context in the ancient world, they were revered and considered very special around the ancient world. In China, they were called the uh, benshi, hmm. uh, very prized rocks that made of this musical resonance.
2: I wonder if that's not uh, where in, like, in, Tibetan singing sorry. bowls come from. Which, sorry? Like Tibetan singing bowls and things like that.
1: Well, it, it is. Actually, we're talking about rocks here. And um, in China, they would they thought that rocks are made this... Magical musical sound were uh, were uh, very uh, endowed with chi, with the, the life energy chi, hmm. uh, and uh, they would pass hands for great sums of money in those days. Poets wrote wrote poems about them. Um, uh, so they were like sort of batteries, if you like, of, of chi energy. Uh, in India, they were also. Uh, We've we traced them from the Neolithic era uh, to 3000 BC in India, uh, right through to about the 7th century AD, where the ringing rocks were used in temples. And, and one of the temples, for example, uh, the Meenakshi Temple, is regarded as the largest musical instrument in the world. Wow. Because the rocks, the rocks ring and also resonate to a priest's voice. So we're studying all this stuff, and they all over the ancient world. And our Landscape and Perception um, Project uh, with the Royal College of Art, and my co-researcher, John Wosencroft, who, who lectures on sound and vision at the Royal College, um, uh, we, went, we thought we wanted to have a look at a pristine, prehistoric landscape And the one we chose was an area in the Priscilla Hills in South Wales, uh, a ridge called Carn Menin because it's got outcrops of uh, igneous rocks there. Mm -hmm. And quite a few of the blue stones of Stonehenge uh, have been fingerprinted chemically in other ways uh, to certain of those outcrops. So we went to investigate that visually and also acoustically. And we found that a high percentage of those rocks, ring. And there's a village in Prusselli called Mein which is Welsh for ringing rocks or bellstone. And that particular village, well, actually, it's a small town really now. um, In the 18th century, its church didn't have bells. It had two of these blue stones uh, hanging there, uh, which rang just like bells. And we got up there, and we've got And if you go on our website at Landscape Perception... Um, you can actually hear some of these these rocks. So we did that, and um, so we think, one of the reasons for the great mystery why these blue stones were carted all the way from uh, South Wales to Salisbury Plain, where, so- where Stonehenge now stands, uh, we rather thought that uh, it might have been the fact that these stones made these sounds, or at least it was the soundscape that the stones came from, uh, they gave them special mana, special power, uh, because a lot of people, American Indians, South African peoples, all sorts of people thought that echo, excuse me, echoes and uh, sounds from rock, these ringing rocks, um, was the sign of spirits inside the rocks or behind a cliff face.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: The uh, Ojibwe Indians, for example. Uh, I'm an Ojibwe. Were,
3: you are you're a part of your boy
2: half yeah good
1: half hang on to that part <laughs> uh, when they <laughs> when he's they uh, he's, he's went into trance, <laughs> 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 when they went into trance they would enter the cliff face uh through a crack or a physio to meet those the rock spirits beyond and gain rock medicine from them and bring it back into the human world wow. So the idea of spirits being behind cliff faces or beyond the rock surface was very profound in many parts of the ancient world and the traditional world. So we think it's possible. We don't know because we don't know who the people were who built Stonehenge. But we think those Neolithic people may have had similar beliefs. And so here we are on Menin in Presley, South Wales, with a lot of the rocks that made these weird ringing sounds and musical sounds. Uh, or metallic sounds uh, and they might have been taking the magic mushrooms to grow in abundance up there as well and doing their rituals and uh, there are over 300 archaeological sites along the Preseli. Wow. There was already a sacred landscape uh, it was already a, a venerated area and so we think that's why uh, they brought those stones to Stonehenge to authenticate the new monument if you like. <clears throat> And it's, um, anyway, we did that. And we've been doing other work quite recently with ringing rocks and, and musical stones
3: and, and so on. So is there, is there a couple different, uh... <laughs> go ahead, Darren, go
2: ahead. Is it entirely based on the type of rock or the shape or how, how what, what are the qualities of a rock that gives it the a ring? A
1: very good question. Um, uh, I've asked, I don't know how many geologists, and A, they don't think it's a question worth bothering about. And B, nobody's ever given me an answer. I think the the uh I think what it is is that the matrix of the rock is is um is such is structured in such a way it gives off this sound when you hit it and you, you strike it with a hammer stone uh, but I don't technically know, and I don't think anybody quite does yet at least we can't get anybody given a sensible answer. Uh, why certain stones make this sound, and other stones are just dull clunks. Uh, huh. So it, it's odd.
3: So is there a couple different components to this this acoustic-type thing? Like, does it have to do with the rocks themselves that ring, like you're talking about, in that Well, this, this, this then...
1: particular aspect, uh, dealing with stone, uh, ringing rocks, where you got evidence, and we have evidence of this on Carmenen, incidentally, where you have evidence that the stones were actually struck in the ancient past, right. we call them lithophones. And we know, for example, in the Paleolithic caves of Spain and and France, the old Stone Age, beyond, older than the Neolithic, Right. Uh, we know that the calcite deposits in some of them, the sort of stalactites and stalagmites and other formations, a light uh, percussion on them, very likely a fingernail in some cases, will give this beautiful ringing or even harp-like noise. Wow. And it seems to be related to... Uh...
2: What was that? Apparently the internet is on a long weekend, too. <laughs> yeah. So,
3: okay, we're, you were you're talking about... are in the about... wilds of Canada, aren't you? I well, there you yeah, go. We're in the, <laughs> in the great white
1: north. <laughs> anyway, I hope you can uh, get rid of that little glitch. Sure. Uh, in the Paleolithic Caves... Uh, the painted caves of, of the old Stone Age, uh, where you've got paintings and images drawn and pecked onto the walls of the caves. Some of them have um, calcite deposits, stalactites and static mites, uh, that will give beautiful sounds, musical sounds when lightly struck. And we know, peering through the layers of clear calcite deposits, that some of these were were... were percussed, was struck tens of thousands of years ago. So what we've done, by and large, up to now, largely archaeology has lost the soundtrack of the past. Right. And we're trying to recover that soundtrack. Other aspects, though, you ask about uh, archaeocustics are echoes, uh, places where that will give echoes, especially related to rock art. Uh, for example, Petroglyph Rock in Ontario... Um, is uh, a slab of, 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 of rock uh, uh, with about 900 prehistoric engravings on it. There are other slabs of rock around that don't have anything on them. And nowadays it's covered with, uh, to protect it from the acid rain of our charming culture. And um, nobody knows why they, this particular rock was favoured to have all these carvings hmm. um, and we asked around, nosed around <laughs> and uh, we found that there's a fissure, a crack that runs across the surface of this rock and that fissure is about 5 metres deep and we were told by locals when groundwater intermittently runs along the bottom of that fissure, a sound comes up like
3: Wow. Out of the
1: fissure? Out of the fissure. And uh, so we figured that really the rock became important because it probably was considered a place where the the rock spirits spoke. And it probably became a sort of oracle center. And uh, so we were delighted to find that. And then I did a little article on this years ago. And... I was contacted by an Ojibwe elder. In fact, who said, that is right. We knew that. Uh, but you're the first non-Indian, non-First Nation person to, to write about this. And I was invited on to do a ritual there, which I've never gone back,
3: unfortunately. Wow. So is there is there also a component of chanting or humming that will resonate with these types of rocks as well?
1: Well, certainly some of the Indian temples... Um subcontinent Indians um apparently some of the st- some of the upright rock stone uprights in their in their hallways will resonate to the priest's voice at certain tones. but we had an interesting mm, idea at New Grange, the Neolithic site in Ireland, uh where at midwinter the sunbeam shines down the seventy foot long passage. Into the chamber and lights it up like golden ingots for a short period of time, I think it's about seventeen minutes uh, and then it comes out again, and you don't see that light again till midwinter the following year um, and we found that uh, the the whole the whole chamber its basic <laughs> resonance frequency was uh, hundred and ten hertz Wow now, so in theory in theory. You could have a group of priests there, or whatever, doing their chants, like Tibetan chanting or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, if they were using a sort of incense, or if they were doing a sort of sweat lodge, sweat lodge type of thing with um, with uh, steam in that chamber, because there are bowls, or shallow bowls there. And they found round stones in there. And we do know that in the Iron Age, the uh, Iron Age Irish did have things like sweat lodgers. If there was particulate matter in, in the air in that chamber, whether incense or steam, and then this sunbeam came in like a laser cutting through into the chamber uh, you would actually see the wave patterns of the, the sound. S- oh, wow. Uh, and on the walls, there is rock art that shows what we measured, the exact peaks and troughs, zigzag patterns, that exactly matched uh, the the sound waves that we measured in there. Uh, because the sound wave, once you've got a standing wave, it's very intriguing uh, in that you can have the sound source in the center of the chamber, say, and uh, you hear the sound. You walk away and you go into the sound, the trough of the sound wave. You don't hear anything. Move another couple of feet and suddenly you hear the sound again, very loud. Hmm. And then back again. And it's like that. You walk through the sound wave. And that's all true, also true down through this long passage. Uh, you have this, this sound wave going down. And um, we we suggested we made a movie of this for Channel 4. Television in the UK, and um, people were, oh, sounds a bit far fetched. <laughs> well, what we did was uh, at, at Princeton, uh, uh, Professor Bob John, who is your actual rocket scientist, <laughs> he he produced this long plastic tube, I don't know, about six inches wide and um, a few feet long. And it was on the bottom of it were laid the spores of a uh, uh, sort of uh, mushroom spores, you know, uh, fungi spores, very very fine, laid along the bottom. And uh, then the ends were sealed, and a light beam was shone through, and a sound was generated inside this 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 long tube, till its resonance free, not the same as in the in the Neolithic chambers, of course, but the resonance frequency for this particular tube was set up, and I swear to God, and it was filmed, the, uh, the spores, the fungi spores, rose up and formed the sound wave in this beam of light that came across to prove the fact that the theory of what might have happened in Newgrange could have happened So basically, and of course, they would have been black patterns moving in the mist inside the chamber, Uh, and I guess they would have been seen as spirits.
2: And that does so. They're basically—is that is that like a defiance of gravity thing, or are they lighter than?
1: No, it's sound. You see, sound is physical. People forget that.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, In in a vacuum of space, no one can hear you scream. Remember. Uh, you need a medium for sound to travel in, and um, it's uh, air is a medium, and it moves the molecule. Any molecules that are floating around, any particulate matter floating in the air, will uh, adapt to the shape of the sound. The sound waves, sound waves are real. It's physical. <laughs> uh, and we may not see it normally, uh, and of course, to ancient people, it was a mysterious phenomenon as were echoes so, so uh, is... to us because we're bright and clever. That's why we never have wars and never kill people <laughs> or whatever. Uh, because we're clever people, we know we have a scientific explanation for sound. But people up until our era did not. They had a magical explanation for sound. Anyway, so sound is physical and it has a physical effect. On particles floating in the air, and that's why you would have seen these moving serpent-like dark shapes in the mist, being illuminated by the rising midwinter sun, shining like a laser into the chamber.
2: That's funny that uh, you mentioned that in line with with like magic mushrooms, because I've had experiences on when I was on mushrooms that you can kind of feel Naughty noises, boy. feel noises Here, bouncing off your chest or. Okay. That's when I had the realization that I was under something, remember? Yeah. On Grand America's Psilocybin, where someone was coming down the stairs and I could feel the sound waves bouncing off my chest. Brilliant,
3: yeah. Brilliant, brilliant there. So that's kind of like <laughs> chymatics when they when they do sound wave.
1: Uh, yeah, you can un- see it in a for example, on, on, a, on a plate, and then if you run a sort of uh, a violin bow against it, you'll see it all move in into beautiful geometry, the geometry of nature, the geometry of sound. Yeah, yeah. So this A might have happened in geometry, the air. Geometry of uh, uh, canonical geometry, ge- uh, geometry.
3: Yeah, so that so that might have happened in, in the air. I mean, they might have seen beautiful even yeah, beautiful absolutely. shapes in the air. Wow.
1: It's possible. We, we only hypothesize
2: that, but it's really possible. We should try that.
3: Well, well well, then, yeah, but then there's the then there's the uh, the altered state, too. Like, music really has an effect on me. I mean, I've had drumming, like, drumming's had an effect on me, music, sounds. So, I mean, you can imagine, and the hemisync, uh, hemisync meditations, you know, they, they alter the yeah, frequency yeah, yeah. between your left and right ear to bring you to that theta state. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's... Any
1: of this stuff will do it, entrainment, uh, certain rhythms... Uh, But um, what we found here with the terms of the structures, the the actual archaeology, it was 110 hertz. Now, uh, in the the Internet world, cyber world, we have talk about 111 hertz, and there's a reason for that. That was lifted off our work for various reasons I won't go into by (laughs) other people. And, of course, unfortunately, that's what people get to hear. Because uh, those of us who do the work are too busy doing the work to to, to propagate it on on the internet. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it's 110 hertz, boys. That's the that's the real frequency. That's the one to get.
2: Right. It's Binary code.
4: Huh.
1: Whatever it is.
3: So, how how do you find speaking of the internet? How do you find it over the last you know ten or twenty years? You're doing all your research. You must have seen a big shift in. Acceptance uh, in the mainstream or people interested in it? Like, it's it's oh, huge.
1: It's a huge area of interest. Uh, and you have two lines of interest. One is actually within the mainstream. Uh, they've been very stubborn, mainstream archaeology. The anthropologists are much better. Yeah. Uh, because they mix with the primordial peoples, primary peoples, um, uh, but the archaeology took a long while, but we now have a lot of archaeologists looking at our. In fact, it was in 2003, and I was part of a small and closed symposium at Cambridge University where we studied, where we had people who were looking at sound in all sorts of ways, particularly sound, for example, in Roman and Greek, amphitheaters, and, and things like that. Yeah. And we. Uh, it was there that it was decided, let's call, it's getting very loose, all this. Let's call it uh, archaeoacoustics. And two years, no, that was 2003. 2006, a book came out that was called Archaeoacoustics, And it was all the papers that were read at that, that closed symposium. And uh, that's where it all came from, really. But people had been looking at sound for a long, long while at various uh, ancient places. Uh, so that has happened, and in Time and Mind, our journal, we do uh, often have a paper on archaeoacoustics, but as I say, it's peer-reviewed, it's not any old rubbish, Yeah, yeah. It's serious stuff, people who yeah. know what we are talking about. And on the uh, other hand, you have the popular version that gets out on the internet. Now I'm going to sound like an old prig
4: here, <laughs> but
1: the truth of the matter is, half of it is bollocks it's absolute rubbish that gets out there. New, new age nonsense. And it's, 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 it's sad because I've seen the whole thing. The whole earth mistress scene was completely, uh, ruined really by people writing. You know, I better, better not mention names I'll be sued from till the end of time.
3: Give us but... initials. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, but Joe Bloggs out there, several Joe Bloggs who wrote books uh, and, and titivated and tantalized people with ideas of ancient universal civilizations and all the rest of it and, uh, and that's what people want to hear because they're not really interested in what the ancient peoples actually did they, they want ancient astronauts, they want Atlanteans, they want something other and it gets into the system and it gets repeated
4: mm,
1: megafold on the on the internet. And so people like me and, and others, real researchers, we quietly in the shadows. Whereas all this other stuff gets out there. And one of the things that really annoys me, of course, the people that get all the stuff out there and a lot of it phony and and deliberately tantalizing, they're the ones that bring home the big fat checks at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, it's it's money, it's money in the end, and and uh, it's annoying. But at the end of the day, it's like burning books because real knowledge, real knowledge, gets lost.
3: So I wanted to ask you about that a little bit about about what's happening recently and and the amount of information that is starting to show that there might have been civilization prior to the uh, to the ice age, like with with sites like Gunung Penang and and Göbekli Tepe. What is your thought about? about these ancient cultures going back farther than we originally thought.
1: Well, the Bekley Tepe, uh, I'm going near there in a few weeks, actually, Only it's getting a bit hot in, in terrorism terms. Um, and I'm giving a paper, it's Archaic Two, which is being held in Istanbul at the end of this month. Um they're old. Uh, there's no question, I mean, no archaeologist is going to argue with you that there are civilizations we don't know about. Whole right. cities have been found right. under lakes in China, for example, where right. we don't know who the hell built them. But when you check back, and it's important you do this, in back again, to the idea of going to original research, yeah, yeah. you go back, you find the evidence actually for pre-Ice Age civilizations is either false or incredibly thin. Or incredibly manipulated evidence, but certainly there are old, old civilizations, but not a universal civilization, many ancient civilizations around the world, some that we know of some we 've tracked back, and others we don 't know uh, by peoples that came and went like a sine wave in the hallway of time it it 's just just you know it 's not unusual. And it's, 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 it, but it's fascinating. But this idea of a universal civilization before, what, 10,500 BC, rubbish. It is no hard evidence for it. But there's a lot of, a lot of speculation that is given as fact, let's put it that way. And a lot of storytelling that's given as fact, because that's what people want to hear. makes me highly unpopular to say this. But I'm concerned with the real story of the human race. I'm concerned with the actual heritage of humanity. And it's important not to, to smear it with twentieth, first century and twentieth century rubbish.
3: So you don't think there was there was a sophisticated civilization like ten, eleven thousand years ago?
1: Oh, the, I, I, I think there probably were, but these would be individual ones that came right, and went. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Ice Age only came down so far. Right, right. Uh, uh, you know, so if you're looking at the Gobekli Tepe, you're, you're not looking at a I- pre-Ice Age culture. Right. But certainly there were very strange, very mysterious cultures. Uh, they go back 10,000 B.C. Yeah. Certainly.
3: Yeah. So, hey, I wanted to ask you, because you've also done research into to lucid dreaming, and you've written that book on yeah. lucid dreaming now. I, it came to me that that lucid dreaming can could be used as a divining tool as well. So when you've been going through all these ancient sites and then you you've got into lucid dreaming, did you have any experiences yes, within I have, your dreams? I had
1: one. I had one. Um, it, it was at, a, at an ancient uh, sacred well in Cornwall, um, uh, uh, and it's uh, the, the well is actually deep in the forest. But they built conduits for it on, in stone, and it bubbles up in this ancient 10th-century chapel um, that uh, now hasn't got a roof, and it's in the middle of a forest, and it's uh, all green light, you know, whatever. And they used to do healings there up until about 17th century, hmm. and uh, the water bubbles in a corner in this stone, stone sort of bowl thing. It comes up. It's radioactive, incidentally. And, um, I, uh, I thought, oh. part one of the stories I heard about was that people who partook of the waters would then be asked to go to sleep to be healed. And I went to sleep. Uh, there's a ledge around the edge of this ancient chapel, very tiny. And, uh, I, I did, I fell asleep as I sometimes do in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> and, uh, I fell asleep. It was only for about 10 minutes, but I had a very, very, very clear dream. Wow. Which a pair of hands came in front of my eyes and picked up the water. There a, the water was there, and they picked up the water in a certain way and applied it to my eyes. And I was deeply moved by this. I woke up, and I went over to the uh, the bubbling water And I lifted it up and and spread it over my eyes, just like it showed. And I'm still here. That was a lot of years ago. Uh, But um, uh, I don't, I mean, I know somebody's dead now, but I know somebody used to take uh, LSD at ancient sites for extra insight to the sites. And uh, so that you can use it that way, yeah. I mean, I had my first lucid dream in 1989, uh, it was very, very vivid. It lasted a long while. Mm. And I was aware that my mind, brain mind, could create realities that were as real, as tactile, as spatial, as waking consciousness. And uh, so that made me realize that waking consciousness is probably some sort of lucid of, of, uh, dream we're all locked into. So, yes, I will get rid over by a bus, and then I'll wake up somewhere else and it's uh you know it's 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 uh, it's fascinating what the human brain mind can do and how how we see things we don't just see with our eyes alone uh other processes go on and uh and I know you know I've had big drug experiences in my youth, my wild and woolly youth. <laughs> Powerful experiences. I've experienced phenomena in the skies with witnesses. I've even seen one elemental type creature with my wife. We both saw it in Ireland. Uh, So there are these other worlds or other realities. Can you you go into details
3: about that that creature or maybe the UFO? You're holding me back for my dinner.
1: Oh, I am too. I'm going to have to go. But what you can do if you like, you can call me at another time and I'll go into these things.
3: Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, let's do that. Let's have like a part two, and we'll go into some of those. Yeah, because one, one of the things we like to do, we have a platform here that we can share people's experience in a non-judgmental and non-ridiculing way. So it's it's perfect to be able to talk about some of that stuff.
1: Absolutely, right, right on. on. Okay. So let's go into the because I mean, one of my the, the actual time and mind journal. The actual subtitle is the Journal of Archaeology, Consciousness, and Culture. Yes because my area is very much into uh, consciousness studies and the history and prehistory of the human mind. And it's that that really fascinates me. And the, the landmarkings, the acoustics, and the belief and spirits beyond the rock. These are all aspects of consciousness in cultures earlier and quite different to our own.
3: Yes, yeah. And, and and some of us have experienced certain things, so it's hard to hard to just discount all that all that Absolutely. stuff as oh, pure no. mythology. Oh right? no,
1: the twenty first century mainstream view of the world is is okay, but it's incredibly narrow. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, this whole you know nature is a very big book, <laughs> and we've only our cultures
2: only read the first few pages.
3: Exactly. That's a good way to put it. Lots of lots of quotes here from Paul.
2: We've got 110 hertz here. <laughs> all right. <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: thanks a lot, Paul. Enjoy. Okay, guys, I've got to sign off for
1: now, but I look forward to part
3: two. Great, on. Thanks a lot. Take care.
2: Okay. Take care yourself. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <coughs> Here's 110 hertz. What's with all the static?
3: Why'd you turn it off?
2: It's only 10 seconds long. What are you doing over there?
3: Definitely, definitely affecting my brain. Yeah. Oh, I'm (laughs) serious.
2: buddy yeah i liked
3: it can't wait to talk to him again
2: other than the shitty internet
3: <clears throat> yeah but uh, that's okay we'll get it'll, it'll sound okay yeah or it did sound it okay, sounded
2: okay. <laughs> <clears throat> because i fixed it i don't well, know what's he... going on there just our fucking couldn't pay our internet bill this month
3: <laughs> it wasn't us was it was it our well, internet? We were
2: calling his telephone so
3: uh maybe it was, yeah.
2: I don't know. It was either our internet or possibly Skype.
3: I finally got some of my curiosity on uh archaeoacoustics satisfied. I mean sure we could read about it all, but it's pretty good to talk to somebody that knows a bit more about that. Like, you know, when we tried try to talk about it in the past, I feel like just kinda of touch the surface. This is kinda of more about the sound and the resonance and what really goes on.
2: Yeah, it kind of reminded me of Schwager. I wonder if those two get along.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I was going to ask him about that, because they both studied New Grange a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's why I, I thought yeah, of it. Yeah.
3: Hmm. I, it makes me want to go to England. I really do want to go back there.
2: Mike is there right now. I know. In Leeds. He was texting me. I was texting him. He's still there until Thursday.
3: Speaking of England, I could get a sh- I can give a shout out to uh, one of our I think I don't know if he's a new Space listener Space Pigeon or not, but Space Pigeon yeah yeah he's from my uh, my mom's hometown like I've been to his little town Skipton
2: Skipton UK yeah.
3: Yeah, I remember the walk around the castle and everything yeah it's pretty crazy there's
2: a castle there yeah we rented out his America headquarters
3: my cousin wants to get a t- that castle tattooed on himself.
2: She got a great American Moai tattooed on himself. You shouldn't. No, don't do that.
3: But if I went to England this time, it wouldn't be just like hunting for castles. <coughs> it would be going to ancient sites and fusili or, or Prisilli,
2: I Fish mean. Fish and chips. Oh, jeez. How boring. What?
3: There's all kinds of ancient mysteries. There are crop circles and...
2: Still got to eat. <laughs> crop circles aren't ancient mysteries. <laughs> What's there in Egypt? Stonehenge. Egypt? Or England. <laughs> Stonehenge.
3: Well, there's all the stuff that, that he talked about.
2: That's in Ireland. No, it's Oh.
3: Oh, you're thinking Wales. No, Wales is attached to England.
2: Oh, is it? Yeah.
3: Okay. You drive through Wales, I think, to get to the ferry that goes to Ireland. And the and the been. bar on the ferry has more taps than seats in the bar. Really? In the pub.
2: Yeah. The more you know. Yeah, (laughs) I've never been across the pond.
3: Yeah, you should go one day. Take the family. Yeah, one day. It's really cool. I, I just, I've lately I've been thinking about England more and just going back up there, driving through the countryside. It's beautiful.
2: There you have it. Um,
3: so I can't wait to have Paul back on to talk more about this stuff and some of his experiences and get a little deeper into it.
2: Yeah, chat for a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, as always, head over to slash support for all the different, um, options to help us heat the igloo and keep the internet f- interwebs flowing and pay the bills and pay off Graham's credit card. Um, that's right.
3: Thank you for saying that. Yeah.
2: We appreciate all our donations, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, yeah, the monthlies really help. So, yeah, check out the options there. If you can't afford to support us monetarily, um, as always, tell your friends, tell people on Facebook, yeah. sign people up for the newsletter, um, spam gram, and review...
3: The show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you can. Yeah. And you can comment on the website as well, right? People, we could we could plug that a little bit more. People can go to the
2: episodes and comment grandamerica.ca yeah there you have it
3: and i d- talked to him tell him about the t-shirts
2: the t-shirts why don't you just tell him about the fucking t-shirts
3: <laughs> well I might have some left right there's some oh. like I've already shipped a few out right just uh if you want to donate what do we say over 25 bucks or something yeah.
2: preferably yeah. over 25 yeah. 25 breaks this even <laughs> We make twelve cents.
3: Yeah, we're not a super efficient operation here, but but we like to get the little Moai t shirt out and I've got the save Sasquatch one too. How can people see those pictures? Twitter. Twitter?
2: Or Facebook. Is there page. A, did
3: you hashtag it at all? No, you didn't, did you? Yeah. Hashtag it. Hashtag for suckers.
2: <sighs> You're on the fucking Twitter, you do it. And it'll automatically go to Facebook too. Go fuck can
3: yourself Can I retweet it with a hashtag when people find them then? No,
2: you can't do that.
3: Can't you say hashtag Grimerica t-shirt or something and then people just search that? Isn't that pr- a professional way to do it?
2: Sure. <laughs> go to the Facebook page and go to pictures. Really? Yeah. Okay. Or go to Twitter and go to pictures and see Grimerica's selfie You can do stick.
3: that? Go to Twitter and go to pictures?
2: Yeah. Someone asked why you were stabbing yourself.
3: I know. That was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> it can look like it. And then he goes, oh, it must have been a selfie stick.
2: Yeah, so, but, yeah, if we can do, you know, decent and not lose money on the T-shirts, then we definitely can keep those flowing. So it's,
3: uh... Says Darren, who's not mailing <laughs> out. Yeah.
2: If we can, uh... Well, if we, if we, you know, as long as we can keep money flowing. If people buy them, then we can... I guess we it'll take us a bit to get a feel for the sizes.
3: yeah. Yeah, it's difficult right now.
2: Don't be afraid to buy some for your kids. Yeah, because we got (laughs) smalls.
3: No, I didn't get smalls this time. No,
2: never mind. No. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for listening. (laughs) See you next week.